from Jeremiah chapter 11. I'll be starting at verse 1 and going all the way through to the end of the chapter. If you're reading from the Church Bibles, it should be on page 639. We'll start from verse 1. The word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord. Hear the words of this covenant and speak to the men of Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem. You shall say to them, thus says the Lord, the God of Israel. Cursed be the man who does not hear the words of this covenant that I commanded your fathers when I brought them out of the land of Egypt from the fine burnt, from the iron furnace, saying, Listen to my voice and do all that I command you. So shall you be my people and I will be your God, that I may confirm the oath that I swore to your fathers to give them a land flowing with milk and honey as at this day. Then I answered, So be it, Lord. And the Lord said to me, Proclaim all these words in the cities of Judah and in the streets of Jerusalem. Hear the words of this covenant and do them. For I solemnly warned your fathers when I brought them up out of the land of Egypt, warning them persistently, even to this day, saying, Obey my voice. Yet they did not obey or incline their ear, but everyone walked in the stubbornness of his evil heart. Therefore, I brought upon them all the words of this covenant which I commanded them to do, but they did not. Again, the Lord said to me, A conspiracy exists among the men of Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem. They have turned their back to the iniquities of their forefathers who refused to hear my words. They have gone after other gods to serve them. The house of Israel and the house of Judah have broken my covenant that I made with their fathers. Therefore, thus says the Lord, Behold, I am bringing disaster upon them that they cannot escape. Though they cry to me, I will not listen to them. Then the cities of Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem will go and cry to the gods to whom they make offerings, but they cannot save them in the time of their trouble. For your gods have become as many as your cities, O Judah, and as many as the streets of Jerusalem are the altars that you have set up to shame, altars to make offerings to Baal. Therefore do not pray for this people, or lift up a cry or prayer on their behalf, for I will not listen when they call to me in the time of their trouble. What right is my beloved in my house? What has she done when she has done many vile deeds? Can even sacrificial flesh avert your doom? Can you then exult? The Lord once called you a green olive tree, beautiful, with good fruit, but with the roar of a great tempest, he will set fire to it, and its branches will be consumed. The Lord of hosts, who planted you, has decreed disaster against you because of the evil that the house of Israel and the house of Judah have done, provoking me to anger by making offerings to Baal. The Lord made it known to me, and I knew. Then you showed me their deeds, but I was like a gentle lamb led to the slaughter. I did not know it was against me they devised schemes, saying, Let us destroy the tree with its fruit. Let us cut him off from the land of the living, that his name be remembered no more. But, O Lord of hosts, who judges righteously, who tests the heart and the mind, let me see your vengeance upon them, for to you I commit my cause. Therefore, thus says the Lord concerning the men of Anathoth, who seek your life and say, Do not prophesy in the name of the Lord, or you will die by our hand. 
Therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, Behold, I will punish men. The young men shall die by the sword, their sons and their daughters shall die by famine, and none of them shall be left. For I will bring disaster upon the men of Anathoth the year of their punishment. This is the word of the Lord. Hello, everyone. Good to see you this morning. How are we all going? How are you going, Matt? Callum, <laughs> that's good. I uh, hope you're doing well. Uh, my name is Huey. Uh, great to see you at church. And um, I see a few new faces among us this morning. Uh, so if uh, this is your first time, uh, I hope you have a wonderful time with us this morning and uh, get to know us uh, and give us an opportunity to, to get to know you as well. Uh, well, it'll be great if you can have uh, Jeremiah chapter 11 to 15 open in front of you. Uh, it's a big passage and uh, we're going to be kind of uh, going through at lightning pace, uh, but uh, hopefully uh, God will speak to us and uh, teach us uh, from his word this morning. Uh, let me lead us in prayer and then we'll get into it. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you uh, for your word. Uh, thank you that your word is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword. And we pray, Father, this morning that your word will speak to us, that your word will expose our hearts and reveal to us our own sinfulness, that your word will then bring us to Jesus so that we might live our lives uh, for his sake and for his glory. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, well, friends, uh, I recently saw the movie Oppenheimer. Has anyone seen uh, Oppenheimer before? Uh, yeah, a few of us. It's a great movie. Um, and it tells the story of the famous American physicist, Julius Robert Oppenheimer, uh, who is credited with uh, developing the atomic bomb uh, during the Second World War. Uh, but there's this uh, scene uh, towards the beginning of the movie where Oppenheimer um, has a conversation with Albert Einstein, uh, the two great leading physicists of their day. But you can't actually hear what they're saying to each other. You just see them walking along in the park and you just see their backs. And uh, uh, because you can't hear what they're saying, uh, you become very curious. What are they talking about? Uh, what uh, are they saying to each other that could be of importance? I wonder whether you've ever uh, had that curiosity, uh, seeing two important people in a distance having a conversation, and you want to be a fly on the wall because you're interested to learn from what they are saying. You see, uh, we all love to be in the know, don't we? We all love to uh, have the inside scoop, uh, especially when two important people are talking about something that is likely to be important. Well, today uh, we're continuing our series in Jeremiah, and uh, I want to suggest that as we look at chapters 11 to 15, uh, what we are doing is essentially we are overhearing a conversation between God and the prophet Jeremiah. Uh, you might have noticed that up until this point, uh, it's been mostly God speaking. Uh, he's been speaking to Jeremiah, giving him a message to then take to the people of Judah and Jerusalem. And yet, in chapters 11 to 15, uh, what you see more and more of is the voice of Jeremiah speaking. 
And so these chapters can be read more as a conversation between uh, God and his prophet. And I want to say that as we hear the voice of Jeremiah, uh, there is a great deal for us to learn about what it looks like to be somebody who genuinely serves God. There's a lot to learn about what genuine ministry looks like, in other words. Uh, Now, the first thing you can see in these chapters is that speaking God's word will bring suffering. I wonder whether that's an expectation uh, that you have of your Christian life. Uh, Notice that right at the beginning of chapter 11, God wants Jeremiah to speak his words uh, to the people, uh, to speak the words of the covenant uh, as it's described there. Uh, What are the words of the covenant? Uh, Well, the words of the covenant are the words that God spoke to Israel after they came out of slavery in the land of Egypt way back in the Exodus. Uh, It's the message that God has saved you by grace. And so if you listen to him as your God, and if you continue to be his people, then you will be blessed. But if you ignore him, if you turn away from him, then you will be cursed. And yet, here's the thing. Uh, Did you notice that the preaching of Jeremiah seems to make very little difference to the people of Judah and Jerusalem and the way they respond to God? And so, have a look with me at chapter 11, verse 9. Uh, Grab your Bibles, chapter 11, verse 9 of Jeremiah. Uh, Again, the Lord said to me, A conspiracy exists among the men of Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem. They have turned back to the iniquity of their forefathers who refused to hear my words. They have gone after other gods to serve them. The house of Israel and the house of Judah have broken my covenant that I made with their fathers. Therefore, thus says the Lord, behold, I am bringing disaster upon them that they cannot escape. Though they cry to me, I will not listen to them. You see, this is one of the great agonies of serving God, isn't it? This is one of the great agonies of Christian ministry. A Christian ministry is about speaking God's word. And we sometimes expect that whenever we speak God's word, we will see results. That people will fall at the feet of Jesus. People will repent of their sin. The church will grow. And yet, more often than not, the reverse is true, isn't it? The more we speak God's word, the more it seems that many people just won't listen. The more we speak God's word, the more it seems people become hardened to the gospel. It's heartbreaking. But for Jeremiah, it's not just that people won't listen. But it seems that people are actually out to get him. For if you read on, you can see there that God makes it known to him that there are some people who are out to destroy him. You can see it there in uh, verse 18, chapter 11, verse 18, where Jeremiah says, The Lord made it known to me, and I knew. Then you showed me their deeds. But I was like a, a gentle lamb led to the slaughter. I did not know it was against me they devised schemes, saying, let us destroy the tree with its fruit, 
Let us cut him off from the land of the living, and his name be remembered no more. You see what's happening here? Because Jeremiah speaks God's word, there are people out to destroy him. But it seems like Jeremiah was totally unprepared for all of this. I was like a gentle lamb led to the slaughter, he says. Perhaps his expectation of following God, being faithful to God, was that his life would be prosperous. But here, he faces the tough reality that serving God is going to bring pain and suffering. It's no different in our day, is it? Well, you see, the pattern of suffering for speaking the word of God is actually a pattern that goes right the way through the entire Bible. The suffering of Jeremiah for speaking the word of God only points forward to the Lord Jesus Christ himself. Jesus speaks God's word. He dies at the cross at the hands of sinful men. And the suffering of Jesus only sets the pattern for his apostles, most of whom die horrible deaths for speaking the word of God. And the apostles write to us saying that we ought to expect the same thing. Uh, 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 2, the apostle Peter says, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you, as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice in so far as you share Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. Oh yes, there is glory to come. But first, you will suffer if you follow Jesus and you speak his words. Uh, in India, there is a Bible college called the Delhi Bible Institute of India where Christian students are trained to take the message of Jesus uh, to areas of India where there is very little gospel witness. Apparently, these students keep a bag packed with essentials by the back door. Uh, do you know why? It's because they live in fear that people who want to kill them are going to come through the front door. And so if that ever happens, they have a bag packed ready to, to run. Suffering and persecution of people who wish to speak God's word is alive and well in this world. But it's not simply in other countries, is it? I think gradually this kind of heat for speaking God's word uh, is gradually uh, coming upon the West as well. A few years ago, we, we saw just how much hatred came to the Christian rugby player Israel Folau simply for posting on social media what has been the plain gospel message for centuries. The message that God will judge unrepentant sinners so that the only way to be saved is to repent and turn back to Jesus. This was labelled as hate speech. Falau lost his job. He still suffers to this day. But that's only an indication of what might happen to us if we dare open our mouths to speak the word of God, you see. 
But the gospel word is not only the fragrance of life for those who believe, but it is the stench of death, the offensive stench of death to those who are dying. The gospel will not only soften the hearts of some for salvation, but it will harden the hearts of many for judgment. For the gospel says that you have been wrong about your life all this time. You have been wrong about God, about about everything in your life that matters, and you will face the judgment of God unless you turn back to the Lord Jesus Christ, which is offensive to the proud. But that's not the worst of it. For did you notice in our passage who it is that is out to get Jeremiah? Who are the ones who are seeking his life in this passage? Who are the they that you read again and again in Jeremiah's little speech there? Well, you find the answer in chapter 11, verse 21, verse 21, where God says that it is the men of Anathoth. You might remember that Anathoth is Jeremiah's very own hometown, a city full of priests. That is, the ones that you would expect most to support Jeremiah are the very ones who are out to oppose him. It's always painful, isn't it, when those who are closest to you are the ones who oppose you for your faith. I mean, if a, if, if a random person on the street sort of rejects you or opposes you or says some nasty things about you, then you can shrug it off pretty easily because, you know, they don't really know you and you don't really know them. But when it is your family, your closest friends, the ones you expect to be on your side who reject you and who oppose you, who speak evil of you, some of you know how badly that hurts. Now, if we turn back to Jeremiah, you can see that he continues to complain to God about his suffering. Uh, In particular, he complains that it doesn't seem right that the wicked are out, who are out to get him are the ones who he sees prospering in their life. But here he is as someone who seeks to serve God, but all he can see is suffering. And so in uh, chapter 12, verse 1, he says, Righteous are you, O Lord, when I complain to you, yet I would plead my case before you. Why does the way of the wicked prosper? Why do all who are treacherous thrive? How does God respond to Jeremiah's complaining? Well, God's answer here is uh, priceless, even as it is astonishing. Now, look at what he says in chapter 12, verse 5. Have a look with me at chapter 12, verse 5. God says, "If, If you have raced with men on foot and they have wearied you, how will you compete with horses? And if in a safe land you are so trusting... What will you do in the thicket of the Jordan, which was where there were wild animals? Uh, a few years ago, um, our student minister, Bijaya, now Bijaya is not here, his, his wife's here this morning. Uh, Bijaya asked me to go for a run with him. Um, I said yes. Uh, it was the biggest mistake of my life. 
not long into the run, I was huffing and puffing. Uh, Bijaya was wanting to talk to me as, as we ran along, but I, I couldn't talk. Uh, in fact, I could hardly breathe. I mean, it was easy for Bijaya, who grew up in the high altitude conditions of Nepal and runs like a gazelle, but it was uh, torture for me just to keep up with him. Uh, when we finally made it back to my place, I collapsed from exhaustion. Imagine then being asked to go for another run, not with Bijaya, but with a racehorse. That's what God is saying to Jeremiah, isn't it? You think your suffering is bad now, but you haven't seen anything yet. Go further. I want you to notice that God isn't the kind of God who just allows Jeremiah to suffer alone. For God himself suffers because of the sinfulness and idolatry and rebellion of his people. Uh, have a look with me at chapter 12, verse 7. God says, I have forsaken my house. I have abandoned my heritage. I have given the beloved of my soul into the hands of her enemies. My heritage has become to me like a lion in the forest. She has lifted up her voice against me. Therefore, I hate her. In other words, God effectively says to Jeremiah, if you think you are suffering... Imagine how I feel. I've just forsaken and abandoned and given up the one who is most precious to me. I feel like I've been torn apart like a lion because of what my people have done to me. In fact, even as I still love her, I hate her, says God. That's very different to the common saying that says God hates the sin, but loves the sinner, isn't it? You see, you cannot divorce sin from the sinner. If God hates sin, he will hate the sinner, even as he loves her and desperately wants her to come back to him. But to Jeremiah, God's message is, if you think you are suffering now, then you haven't seen anything yet. Uh, brothers and sisters, I wonder whether God would say a very similar thing to us uh, in our day and age. We live in a world where we feel the temperature rising against Christianity and those who speak God's word. Uh, you guys know this. You guys feel this in your workplace. You guys feel this as you speak to your friends. Perhaps things will get worse rather than better. But this is exactly what it looks like to be somebody who speaks God's word. Yes, there is glory to come, but first, there is suffering. Have you got that in your heads and in your minds and in your hearts? Is this what you have signed up for on the day that you put your trust in Jesus? Are you someone who is still prepared to speak God's word regardless of the consequences because this is the nature of what it looks like to follow Jesus all the way to glory? Now, uh, in the next part of our passage this morning, what we see as we overhear this conversation between God and Jeremiah is the real problem that Israel has. 
a real problem that Israel has. And you can see it in the three uh, vivid illustrations that God gives to Jeremiah in chapter 13. Firstly, at the beginning of chapter 13, uh, you see um, the, the Captain Underpants uh, illustration. Uh, in verse 1, God tells Jeremiah to go and buy uh, some uh, a linen loincloth, effectively a pair of underpants, and to put it on. Uh, in verse 4, Jeremiah is to travel all the way to Babylon and hide his uh, underpants there um, under, a, under a rock. I don't know whether he took a spare pair of un underpants for coming back home in, but uh, in verse 6, what we see is Jeremiah, after many days back home, is told to go back and dig up those underpants. And lo and behold, their underpants were spoiled and good for nothing. Uh, now, the, the point of this illustration is not too difficult to work out, is it? Uh, in verse 10, God says, This evil people who refuse to hear my words, who stubbornly follow their own heart, and have gone after other gods to serve them and worship them, shall be like this loincloth, which is good for nothing. For as the loincloth clings to the waist of a man, so I made the whole house of Judah cling to me, declares the Lord, that they might be for me a people, a name, a praise, and a glory. But they would not listen. In other words, the people were um, to cling to God like a pair of jockeys clinging to the waist of a man. But they have become like this spoiled pair of underpants, good for nothing, because they had effectively abandoned God's purposes for them by not listening. Secondly, God gives another illustration, uh, which you can see there, of the wine jars. Uh, in verse 12, Jeremiah is to go to the people of Judah and Jerusalem and say to them, Every jar shall be filled with wine. Uh, the people will then say, you know, tell me something we don't know, Jeremiah. Of course wine jars are to be filled with wine. But the sting in the tail is that God will say to the people that they themselves are the wine jars that God will fill with the, the wine of his wrath and judgment. In verse 13, God says to Jeremiah, then you shall say to them, Thus says the Lord, Behold, I will fill with drunkenness all the inhabitants of this land, the kings who sit on David's throne, the priests, the prophets, and all the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and I will dash them one against another, fathers and sons together, declares the Lord. I will not pity or spare or have compassion that I should not destroy them. The third illustration gets even worse because it depicts the rape and the pillaging that the people of Judah and Jerusalem will suffer at the hands of the Babylonians. Now, if you look with me at chapter 13, verse 22, God says, verse 22, And if you say in your heart, Why have these things come upon me? It is for the greatness of your iniquity that your skirts are lifted up and you suffer violence. Again, 13:26, verse 26, God says, I myself will lift up your skirts over your face, and your shame will be seen. In other words, just as the people of Israel were willing to lift up their skirts and give themselves to any idol that walked past, there will come a time when they will have to lift up their skirts for the Babylonians who will ravish them 
and inflicts God's judgment on them. But here's the thing, friends. Right in the middle of this horrific passage, you get an insight into the real problem with the people of Judah and Jerusalem. Why was God bringing disaster upon them? Well, it's because their hearts were evil and they just could not change. Their hearts were evil and they just could not change. Have a look with me at verse 23. God says, Can the Ethiopian change his skin or the leopard his spots? Then also you can do good who are accustomed to evil. Now, I know that some smart person will tell me this morning that it's possible these days to inject something and change the colour of your skin. Uh, I even read an article this week saying, technically speaking, the spots of a leopard actually do change (laughs) as the leopard grows older. But the point here is not that God is being politically incorrect about the Ethiopian person who was a rare sight to see in Judah, but he's making the general point that generally speaking, you cannot change the colour of your skin and a leopard can't one day wake up and change his spots so that he becomes a zebra instead. In a similar way, the people of Judah and Jerusalem were so evil that they could not change their hearts. They could not stop doing evil and start doing good. They could not stop worshipping idols and start loving God. And that's why God was bringing disaster upon his people. You see, friends, uh, there are so many things that you and I can change in our lives, isn't there? What can you change in your life? Lots of things. Um, You can change your health so that you stop eating fatty foods and you start eating in a more healthy manner. You can change your appearance. You can go down to Strathfield and get a makeover in one of the Korean salons there. Uh, You can have a sea change in your life so that you move out of the hustle and bustle of the city and go up the central coast somewhere and live by the beach. But there is one thing that without God, you and I will never be able to change. And that is our evil hearts that deserve the judgment of God. If you don't believe me, uh, listen to what Jesus himself says in Mark chapter 7. He says, For from within, out of the heart of man, come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. All these evil things come from within and they defile a person. It's tempting to say, well, that's not describing me, isn't it? But I don't know about you, but if I'm honest with myself and I work my way through that list of things that Jesus says, this is describing precisely me. I have evil thoughts. I sometimes harbour hatred towards certain people. I have adulterous thoughts. 
I find it easy to lie when it suits me. I envy other people's possessions. I've been a fool in ignoring God in my life. And left to my own devices, I will never be able to change. You see, it's sometimes easy to look at the people of Israel in the Old Testament and wonder, how could they be so stupid? Have you ever thought that about the people of Israel in the Old Testament? But what Jesus says is that without God, you and I are no different to the people of Jerusalem and Judah. I don't know what you think your problems in life are right now. We're always thinking about the problems that we have and face day by day. But God says that your greatest problem and my greatest problem are not the external things that we face day to day, but it is our evil hearts that deserve nothing but the judgment of God. And there is not a single thing you or I can do about it. That's the problem. That's why any religion that tells you that you need to become a better person in order for God to accept you is a lie. You know that? For you and I have stubborn and rebellious hearts towards God that refuses to change. If you don't understand this about yourself, do you know what happens? If you try to think that you will earn your acceptance just by becoming a better person? Well, you simply become more self-righteous. You become judgmental to the other people around you because you start to think to yourself, well, the problem is not with me, but it's with other people. How can other people at church be like that? That's the problem. But if you understand the depth of your sin and the sheer grace and mercy of God in the Bible, then you will love God and thank God and serve God that he has given you a salvation that you do not deserve, that I don't deserve. Do you believe this? Well, friends, uh, we're now on the home stretch, and there's a lot in the final two chapters uh, of of our passage this morning that uh, I won't cover in detail. But one of the striking things, the very striking things in these last two chapters, which I want you to see very clearly, is the desperate intercession of the prophet Jeremiah. The desperate intercession of the prophet Jeremiah. It's very interesting that in Jeremiah, there are times when Jeremiah seems to be at one with God and he feels very deeply the things that God feels. But here, what we see also is that Jeremiah is one with the people of Jerusalem and he feels the anguish of what is about to happen to them. In that sense, Jeremiah is very much like the Lord Jesus Christ, isn't he? Who identifies both with God as well as with man. And so in these final chapters, you see Jeremiah desperately, 
trying to intercede on behalf of the people to God that God might save them. You can see it there in chapter 14, verse 7, for example. Now come with me to chapter 14, verse 7. Jeremiah prays, Though our iniquities testify against us, act, O Lord, for your name's sake, for our backslidings are many. We have sinned against you. O you, hope of Israel, its saviour in time of trouble, why should you be like a stranger in the land, like a traveller who turns aside to tarry for a night? Why should you be like a man confused, like a mighty warrior who cannot save? Yet you, O Lord, are in the midst of us, and we are called by your name. Do not leave us. You see here, Jeremiah speaks on behalf of the people of Judah and Jerusalem. He confesses sins to God on their behalf. He pleads with God to save them, not simply for their sake, but for God's sake. Because God's reputation is tied to what will happen to these people. It's not a good look for God to abandon his own people. It's not a good look for God to appear like he can't save his people. Do something, says Jeremiah. But how does God answer Jeremiah's prayers? Well, have a look with me at verse 11, chapter 14, verse 11. The Lord said to me, Do not pray for the welfare of this people. Though they fast, I will not hear their cry. And though they offer burnt offering and grain offering, I will not accept them, but I will consume them by the, word, by the sword, by famine, and by pestilence. That is, God says, no. It's too late. You see this same pattern again a little bit later in the passage. Jeremiah again intercedes for the people of Judah and Jerusalem. Have a look with me at verse 19. Chapter 14, verse 19, Jeremiah prays to God. Have you utterly rejected Judah? Does your soul loathe Zion? Why have you struck us down so that there is no healing for us? We looked for peace, but no good came. For a time of healing, but behold, terror. We acknowledge our wickedness, O Lord, and the iniquity of our fathers, for we have sinned against you. Do not spurn us for your name's sake. Do not dishonor your glorious throne. Remember and do not break your covenant with us. Are there any among the false gods of the nations that can bring rain or the heavens give showers? Are you not he, O Lord our God? We set our hope on you, for you do all these things. You see, again, Jeremiah desperately comes before God, interceding on behalf of the people, confessing to God their sins and asking the Lord to save them, not for their sake, but for the sake of God's name and reputation. And again, listen to how God answers in chapter 15, verse 1. Chapter 15, verse 1, Jeremiah says, Then the Lord said to me, Though Moses and Samuel stood before me, yet my heart would not turn toward this people. Send them out of my sight and let them go. This is an extraordinary thing to say, don't you think? For if you remember, Moses and Samuel were the two great intercessors in the Old Testament. Moses was the one who interceded on behalf of Israel after the golden calf incident in the Exodus and turned away God's anger. Samuel was the one who interceded on behalf of Israel and turned away God's anger because the people had fallen into great idolatry. But what God says is that even if these two champion 
intercessors of the Old Testament were standing in front of me, he would still answer no. He would not relent of his anger. There is now no turning back. Well, friends, uh, even if Moses and Samuel and Jeremiah could not save the people of Judah and Jerusalem from the judgment that was coming, if even they could not turn away God's anger from his people, how can you and I be sure that God will turn away his anger and save us in the coming judgment day? If left to ourselves, you and I have evil hearts that are unable to change, just like the people of Israel, how can we be sure that God will forgive us and save us on that great and terrible day when he comes to judge this world? Well, it's because in Jesus, we have a great intercessor who not only intercedes for us, but unlike all the other intercessors of the Old Testament, was able to provide the perfect atoning sacrifice for our sins. In our New Testament passage from John chapter 17, we read that on the night before his death, Jesus interceded not only for his first disciples, but for us who would believe after their time. Further, at the cross, Jesus pays the atoning sacrifice for our sins and then cries, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they do. And in Hebrews chapter 7, we are told that Jesus is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. You see, friends, if you turn away from your sinful attitude of not listening to God and you turn to Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Saviour, then you can be assured that God will never say no to him. And if God never says no to Jesus, who paid the price for your sins, then you can be sure of your salvation. The more you try to earn your own way to heaven, the more you will become unsure of where you stand with God. The more you put your trust in him, the more you can be sure that God will never turn him away and he will never turn you away. Some of you are still trying to find salvation thinking that you can change and be good enough for God. God says that you will never be able to change on your own for your hearts are evil. Rather, the way to be saved is to come to the Lord Jesus, to give your life to him, and he promises to give you his spirit who will change you. You see a delightful example of this in Acts chapter 8, where you see another Ethiopian popping up in the Bible. You see an Ethiopian official becoming a follower of Jesus. Here is an Ethiopian in Acts chapter 8 who metaphorically changes the colour of his skin. 
Here is an Ethiopian who is changed by God from the inside out. What is impossible for man is possible for God. You want to change your life? You want to know salvation? Then turn from your old life. Come to Jesus. Trust him. Follow him. And he will change you. But know that it's not going to be an easy road if you follow Jesus. For it is always suffering first before the day of glory comes. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. Uh, Thank you that your word breaks down as well as builds up. Uh, We pray this morning that your word will continue to break down our pride so that we see the awfulness of our sin before you and the helplessness of our situation were it not for you. But we pray, Father, that your word would not leave us as we are, but that your word would build us up in the Lord Jesus Christ. Father, we thank you for Jesus. We thank you that because of his atoning death and his resurrection to glory, He now lives to make intercession for us. And we thank you that because of him, we can be forgiven and cleansed and changed from the inside out. Father, we ask that you would give us the courage to follow him and the path that he walked. Help us not to be silent, but to speak of sin and judgment as well as the grace that is available at the cross, even if opposition comes. Please help us to follow Jesus, whose path was suffering, as he went to glory to sit at your right hand. But Father, we do pray that even as your word hardened many further in their sins, that your word would also save some, and that we might have the joy of seeing more and more people coming into your glorious kingdom. For we pray these things in Jesus' name.